3.1. Arenas of Authority An arena of authority is a sphere of activity with clear membership, goals, and institutions. Visualize an arena of authority as a physical arena. It has boundaries, which distinguish members of the community inside the arena from outsiders. Membership in the community may be based on such foundations as ethnicity, tribe, or religion, but regardless of the foundation, the community seeks to propagate itself beyond the current generation. This common goal does not imply equality or a lack of conflict. The community may be highly differentiated with leaders and followers, masters and slaves. Indeed, members may not necessarily have joined the community by volition. Members may also contest the rules or compete with each other over resources. Ultimately, however, those within the arena of authority are engaged, more or less consciously, in a grand project of sustaining the group. They are thus mutually interdependent, with each member's welfare tied to that of others within the arena. Like the state, social arenas of authority govern much of individuals' lives, from cradle to grave. They regulate marriage and biological reproduction, raise resources for community goods, provide welfare, and resolve disputes. Indeed, in much of the world, the vast majority of individuals take civil and criminal cases before customary venues or nowhere at all, and public confidence is often higher in such venues than in their state counterparts. Some striking statistics. Rural librarians took only about 4% of cases involving economic disputes and 8% of those involving violent crimes to the state courts, compared to 36% and 40%, respectively, to customary courts. Indonesians were equally likely to take cases to customary or state courts, but they have much higher confidence in the customary courts. And increasing numbers of Muslims in Germany opt to register marriage, divorce, and solve disputes within Sharia courts unrecognized by the state. Much of the world's population also relies on social arenas for access to land. Indeed, in 2017, the World Bank reported that only about 30% of the world's population had state titles to their land. This is despite decades-long global efforts at state land titling in a state-centric attempt to increase legibility, extend state control, and arguably foster economic growth and equity. Arenas of authority have boundaries. Boundaries separate those who are within the community from outsiders, and they are more or less porous. Some arenas tightly restrict who may enter or leave the community. Children born to a Jewish mother are Jewish, while those born to a Muslim father are Muslim, or at least they should be according to membership rules in Judaism and Islam. Ethnic groups can be similar, particularly if one defines ethnicity as Kanchanchandra does, a subset of identity categories in which eligibility for membership is determined by attributes associated with, or believed to be associated with, descent, described here simply as descent-based attributes. In the middle of the spectrum are groups in which not all individuals are eligible for entry, and exit may be difficult, but not impossible. Consider members of campus Greek societies and inner-city gangs. Fraternities admit students, but not townies, and gangs often admit individuals from certain areas and demographic groups, but not others. At the other extreme are arenas with porous boundaries. Take, for example, some neighborhoods or open religious congregations. One might become a resident in a neighborhood simply by moving into a community, a congregational member, by converting. 
It may be tempting to associate the porousness of boundaries with a type of community, to view geographic communities as relatively open, ethnic or sectarian groups as closed. Yet there is considerable variation in membership rules within the same type of arena across both space and time. For instance, upper-class white Americans may face few barriers to accessing any neighborhood, at least financially. However, the same is not true for their less wealthy counterparts or for African Americans in the 1950s, for whom redlining practices limited their ability to enter certain housing markets. It is also not true elsewhere in the world. In parts of Ghana, Oman, and Zambia, for instance, permission of traditional authorities is often required for one to obtain land in their area. So, too, of religious communities. In some cases, one can change religion as easily as clothing styles, leaving one arena to join another. Elsewhere, this is not the case. One does not simply convert from Sunni Islam to Shiism, yet alone to Christianity, in much of the Middle East, nor revoke membership within Hindu or Muslim communities in much of India and Pakistan. The costs of attempting to exit the arena are high, bearing at times even the penalty of death, and the ability to enter other arenas is limited. Finally, social arenas, like states, seek a degree of sovereignty. Sovereignty is generally associated with states, defined as the supreme authority over a polity within an established territory. Yet, substantively, the key to sovereignty is the supreme legitimate authority over a polity. As Agnew argues, such effective sovereignty is not necessarily predicated on and defined by the strict and fixed boundaries of individual states. Indeed, political authority is neither exclusively territorial nor restricted to states. Arenas of authority seek ultimate, legitimate authority over activities that are key to their community survival. As examples, Lebanese religious sects seek to maintain control over marriage, divorce, and other family matters. Malawian ethnic groups aim to control rules governing inheritance, authority, and land rights. Both states and arenas of authority seek sovereignty, but the nature of sovereignty the state requires may differ from that sought by social arenas. Here it is useful to recall Jackson and Roseberg's distinction between empirical and juridical statehood in sub-Saharan Africa. Empirical statehood is based on the exercise of power, the monopoly of the legitimate use of force on populations within a territorial entity, and it exercises power with an eye inward towards the national population. Juridical statehood is based on international recognition, and its aim is to be included in the international society of states. In the modern era, states maintain themselves by obtaining de jure recognition. Arenas of authority neither necessarily require nor receive such recognition. They seek de facto power over the issues that are critical to their community, an issue we will return to in Section 4, and they vary in the extent to which this requires territorial control. These competing aspirations for sovereignty open a range of possibility for the relations between states and other arenas. At times, conflict is inevitable. Individuals located simultaneously in these overlapping arenas can comply with one authority only if they fail to comply with another. ISIS and states in the West provide a striking example of this. The estimated 20,000 foreigners who fought on behalf of ISIS in Syria and Iraq could only respond to ISIS authority by opposing that of their home states, effectively committing treason. 
At other times, states concede authority over individuals or over some spheres of their social and economic activities. Joel Migdal highlighted the fact that states often do so when they are incapable of maintaining rule or unwilling to expend resources necessary to control populations or territory. This occurs not only when states are weak, but also when they are strong, as seen in governments' hesitance to enter inner-city ghettos of the United States and marginalized suburbs in Sweden. Before turning to the institutions within these arenas, Note that not all entities outside the state are social arenas. Nonprofit organizations and corporations often have more limited goals. They aim to produce widgets, garner profits, and maybe even ensure the longevity of the enterprise. They can benefit from and thus may seek to develop the community's skills, but they do not aim to govern the community. Reebok may care what its employees wear on their feet and seek customer loyalty over Adidas, but their board, most likely, cares little about who they marry and how they live. Where they do, such as in family businesses and company towns, the economic system is better understood as an arena of authority than an organization. Indeed, markets and class-based systems are arenas of authority. However, organizations as entities that work unproblematically, save at least for illegal enterprises, with and under the state as well as other arenas of authority, and do not compete over individuals' allegiances, are not.